This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin, sitting in for Simon Morris. This week on At The Movies, two films starring one of America's most interesting actresses, Kristen Stewart. Firstly, she's a submarine engineer menaced by mysterious forces at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. What is happening? There's something following us. Then she goes back in time to inhabit the character of one of cinema's most enigmatic stars, Gene Seberg. Well, I would love to help. Really, any way that I can, you just have to let me know. I mean, would 5000 be enough? I have my checkbook. And we'll also visit Tom Hanks as beloved children's entertainer Mr. Rogers. I hope you know that you made today a very special day by just your being you. There's no one in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. There aren't very many actors who, if they're being honest with you, wouldn't admit that they're much happier being character actors rather than movie stars. The ones that get into it for the fame and fortune don't tend to last all that long or find themselves making Hallmark Christmas movies until their looks disappear. But there's a lot more fun to be had when you're getting your teeth into something interesting, or maybe you're not carrying all the weight of the expectation and publicity. I think of how much more relaxed Jude Law looks now he can play a young Pope, Sherlock Holmes' sidekick, or an entrepreneur on the slide. Those are all just this year, folks. Being an action hero drove Colin Farrell to drink. Now he's having fun at the art house with Jorgos Lanthimos and Sofia Coppola and hamming it up as the Penguin in the Batman movie which started filming this week. Which brings us to the new Batman himself, Robert Pattinson, who transformed his extraordinary Twilight fame into the ability to get small films made, films by cult directors like Cronenberg, James Gray and the Safdie brothers. Pattinson knew that his time on the cover of the teen magazines was going to be limited, and he never looked like he enjoyed the grim rigmarole of the press tours and the junkets in any case. You can bet that he isn't doing The Batman just for the paycheck. He's working with director Matt Reeves, who made the last two Planet of the Apes movies. This brings us to his Twilight co-star, Kristen Stewart, who went even more heavily in the arthouse direction when she reinvented her career. A super-talented child actor, she had little difficulty finding her way into the good books of directors like Kelly Reichardt uh, in The Brilliant Certain Women and Olivier Assayas in Clouds of Sils Maria and Personal Shopper. Modest films like these need name actors lined up before international financiers will take a chance on them, and Stewart has been one of the most interesting. But late last year, she took a detour back to the blockbuster in a feisty feminist reboot of Charlie's Angels and ended up copping most of the flack when it didn't pull the crowds. This is, of course, utterly unfair. Lots of big films fail, now more than ever, it seems. But the backlash against Charlie's Angels had an ugly tinge of misogyny about it. This week, we'll look at two new films that she stars in, one from each side of the coin, if you will. In both, she is, frankly, better than the material, but that itself is a problem for young women actresses in Hollywood these days. They have the talent, but the work available doesn't always rise to meet them. On a scale from one to ten, how bad's my rig? Ten. 
The other day I watched a documentary called Memory, The Origins of Alien, a film made to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Ridley Scott's groundbreaking horror movie in space. Alexander Philippe's film goes into quite exhaustive depth on the ideas behind the original picture and the process of making it. If you've ever watched the special features on an Alien DVD, you'll be familiar with some of this material already, but one detail that I had missed first time around was that screenwriter Dan O'Bannon deliberately wrote all the characters on board the Nostromo as non-gender specific. Any of them could have been cast either male or female, and it wouldn't have changed anything. Which means that Sigourney Weaver's iconic role as Ripley, the, spoiler alert, almost sole survivor, might never have come to be. And not only would the world of cinema have been a poorer place, we wouldn't have the new horror film Underwater either. Underwater is an unabashed homage to Alien. I don't think anyone would complain about that description. Set on an undersea drilling rig at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, the deepest body of water in the world. In this new film, we are invited to believe that a mining conglomerate has discovered a rich vein of precious metals and decided to build a gigantic construction across several miles of the least hospitable territory known to man. And it's about to get even less hospitable. The film begins with a disaster. Is it an earthquake? The hull is breached and mechanical engineer Nora, played by Kristen Stewart, has to somehow find her way to safety as the place is collapsing around her under the pressure of all that water. When she finally makes it to the command centre, there are only a handful of people left. The captain, Vincent Cassell, makes a big call. We have about 30 minutes till meltdown. Okay, guys. Listen, the escape pods are gone and the sub is out of order. And we're not getting any more radio signals. And the structure of the Kepler is totally unsound. Captain, there better be a good punchline because the setup is... So weak. Weak. We go for the Roebuck. The Roebuck? <laughs> it's a mile down and a mile that way. What are you talking about? Yeah. How would we even get that? We walk. We what? Walk. Barely 15 minutes into this pretty gripping film, which plays like a plucky little B-movie but has probably had about a squillion dollars spent on it, we're all up to our necks in trouble. No, worse than that, we're in over our head. The ragtag bunch of survivors are the usual mix of demographics and character traits, and half the fun of these films is wondering in what order they're going to meet their demise. I've mentioned Kristen Stewart, of course, and Vincent Cassell, but there's also comedian T.J. Miller. If you find him an annoying presence in motion pictures, you probably won't be disappointed, is all that I'll say. Then there's Jessica Henwick, playing the Riggs science specialist. She's an expert on marine life forms, but not too experienced out on the sea floor. And her boyfriend Smith, played by John Gallagher Jr., who spends most of his time being dragged around the bottom of the ocean because his exoskeleton suit is damaged. Let's go. We follow all safety protocols. These suits are dangerous. I don't want to scare anyone, but once we get to the deck, we're going to have to jump to the cargo lift. 
Of course, it turns out that the accident wasn't an earthquake at all, but the ugliest monsters you've ever seen, unleashed from the depths of hell. Then it becomes even more alien-like as our female characters start running around some abandoned living quarters in their underwear as these fiends outside get closer and closer. Thanks to the direction by William Eubank and a tidy 95-minute running time, it remains pretty thrilling with all of the requisite jumps and scares. We don't often talk about design and prop making in terms of story, but I was very taken with how, in a film that doesn't have very much dialogue, the physical objects the actors work with carry the story. At one point, Smith removes the oxygen filtering canister from his backpack, and we can see, as can all of the characters, that instead of being clear liquid, it is a rusty, reddy, brown, silty fluid sloshing around, and we get that his situation has become pretty dire. A prop maker did that. We take them for granted sometimes, but all of those practical crafts deserve some credit here. So we just go in the pitch black and we walk without knowing where we're going with insufficient oxygen. That's the plan? That's the plan. Everybody down with that? Nora, you okay with that? The suits can't be down there that long, you know that. Not everyone here is an experienced diver. And that we never know. I, I'm not trying to be... Can you just admit we might die doing that? Yeah. But can you admit that we might live doing this? Finally, I want to point out that Underwater may not be the most memorable film of the year, but it is one of the most historic. A couple of weeks ago, Disney, the new owners of 20th Century Fox, announced that they would be rebranding the studio they'd just acquired and would ditch the Fox part of the name. There have been movies produced under the Fox shingle since 1915, but now that era is over, thanks to the utterly toxic Fox News brand. Thanks, Rupert. Okay, here we go. Exterior hatch, it's ripped to shreds. Pressure's gonna hit us hard. Override it. As long as it opens, we'll be fine. Underwater is rated R13 for violence, horror scenes and offensive language. It's probably getting submerged at your local multiplex now. The revolution needs movie stars. That's a responsibility right there. Now we have to wave a shotgun to get people's attention. You get your hair cut and you're on the cover of Life magazine. <laughs> well, I would love to help. Really, any way that I can, you just have to let me know. I mean, would 5000 be enough? I have my checkbook. Gene Seberg was a Midwestern teenager plucked from obscurity in the late 50s by Otto Preminger to play Joan of Arc. She wasn't very good, at least she wasn't very well liked by the critics, but she was tough. After that roasting, she went to France and became part of iconic film history, playing opposite Jean-Paul Belmondo in Jean-Luc Godard's new wave classic Breathless. By the late 60s, she had built a career and a family based mostly in Paris and had got a taste for political activism. On her next visit to the States, she became a target for J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, who were determined to prevent celebrities from using their influence and reputation to boost progressive causes like civil rights and sexual equality. They decided, secretly, that they would make an example of her, so that no other movie stars would put their heads above the parapet and risk their careers for political freedom.
In Benedict Andrew's new film, simply called Seaberg, we see Kristen Stewart again, an elfin doppelganger for the real person. Jack O'Connell plays a made-up FBI agent who starts out as a true believer but then gets an attack of the consciences when he sees the toll the FBI campaign plays on the actress and her family. Your ASAC back home led me to believe you were some kind of sound wizard. Yes, sir, they had me in technical there. But I was hoping to be out on the street. Uh, investigation. Working in suntan. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, you're in luck, soldier. There are elements in our society who don't like the way we do things here in America. We know this because we are everywhere they are. The feds really were this vindictive. Hoover's COINTELPRO program wasn't just about surveillance to find evidence of criminal activity. It was designed to produce what the Russians nowadays call compromat, material that can be used to blackmail targets and destroy reputations. As the campaign goes on, Seberg, while suspecting but not being able to prove what was happening to her, starts to unravel, none of which is helped by their 60s availability of weed, alcohol and other mind-altering substances and behaviours. Her crime was to fall under the influence of Hakim Jamal, played without much depth, unfortunately, by Anthony Mackie. The real Jamal was a much more interesting character and could easily be the subject of a film of his own. Here, he's reduced to a kind of generic activist role, and his wife, Dorothy Zazie Beats, isn't much more than a generic two-timed wife. Dorothy, I'm sorry. I never meant to hurt anybody. Oh, you are hurting them. That's the last thing I wanted. You know how much I care about... And I'm supposed to be grateful? No, that's not what I meant. I was just saying that I only want to support the work that you're doing, and I understand how important that is. You think you understand? You think you can? You swing by in your limousine, open your legs and your checkbook, and you think that gives you the right to anything you want? No. Absolutely not. I only ever wanted to help. Well, that doesn't make you a better person. That makes you a tourist. This is my life. This is the last time we see each other. You kind of help I don't need. Worst served of all is Margaret Qualley, who plays FBI Jack's neglected wife. She's there just to serve a purpose, that is, to be Jack's nagging conscience and to witness the ugly FBI culture he's ingratiated himself into. But there's not much sense that she's a person in her own right. Watching Seaberg for the first time, it felt too heavily fictionalised. Not just the creation of the good FBI guy, but all of it felt inauthentic, too made up. Then I went and did some actual research and discovered that the bones of the story are all true, much more so than I realised. So the film's failure isn't that they made too much stuff up, but that the real stuff feels too made up. And that's a problem for Joe Shrapnel and Anna Wardhouse's script, as well as Benedict Andrews' direction. Kristen Stewart is, frankly, too good for this material, and she keeps bumping up against its limitations. I'm sorry to say that both Stewart and Jean Seberg herself deserve better. Hello. Seberg. I want you to stay calm. Listen very carefully to what I'm going to tell you. Who is this? Who are you? Hmm? 
I want, I want you to... Who is this? I want you to stop. Donations, your association with the Panthers. All of it. They will come after you. Listen to me. Listen to me. That will destroy you. Your reputation, your career, your family, everything. Seaberg is rated M for sex scenes, offensive language and nudity because if you were to go by her two films this week, Miss Stewart must have a walk around in her underwear clause in all of her contracts. Seaberg opens at select locations this weekend. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Fred Rogers might have been the most beloved man on television. He made a daily children's TV show in Pittsburgh in the 70s and 80s called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Unlike Sesame Street, his show wasn't explicitly about education, the ABCs and 123s. Fred Rogers was interested in the emotional life of children, discovering feelings for the first time and not necessarily knowing how to manage them. Rogers helped young children navigate these challenges by reminding them, always and with deep and real affection, that it was okay to be them, to be you, and that it was okay to be sad or angry and that those emotions were part of life and didn't make someone a bad person. He was the real deal, as anyone who has seen the 2015 documentary Won't You Be My Neighbour will know. We didn't get exposed to Mr Rogers here as much as we did Sesame Street and Play School, so the earnestness won't land with the same nostalgia as it does in the US. But the new film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, which stars Tom Hanks as Rogers, deserves to be at the top of your list this week. And... Action. Do you know what this is? It's Lord. Lord. Hold, please. We can't fire him, can we? Hello, Lord. Oh, it's nice to meet you. What? Are you all right? Play at the plate. I see. That looks like it hurts. Uh, let's chat afterwards. We need to Maybe we could moving. have Evan take a, take a look at him. No, I'm I'm good. No, I'm, I'm good. Sorry, Fred. Yeah. It's all right. All right. And, uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to meet you. So glad you're here, Lloyd. I'm looking forward to to talking with you. I truly am. After this, everyone, th- th- this is Lloyd Vogel. He is a wonderful writer. Based on the true story of journalist Tom Junod, uh, renamed Lloyd here, who wrote a famous article about Fred Rogers in the late 90s, the film doesn't focus so much on Rogers himself as on the effect he has on those around him. Matthew Rhys as Lloyd is the character who goes through the most change, and he's excellent as the person through whose eyes we see the story. This uh, piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? I don't think of myself as a hero. No, not at all. What about Mr. Rogers? Is he a hero? I I don't understand the question. Well, there's you, Fred, and then there's the character you play, Mr. Rogers. 
You said it was a play at the plate. Is that, is that what, is that what happened to you? I, I'm, I'm here to interview you, Mr. Rogers. Well, that is what we're doing, isn't it? I wouldn't normally offer a personal anecdote on here, but I feel like this one is kind of opposite to the subject in front of us. A while ago, I was going through some stuff, as we all do, and I was offered the chance to talk to a chaplain, a spiritual advisor, if you will. Now, I'm not and have never been a person of faith, but the offer was made and I thought I should take it up. After our meeting, which went pretty well, I thought, I got up to leave and he said, hold on a minute, let's just pray together. I wasn't sure what to make of it, but again, courtesy and respect encouraged me to sit back down. And I was simply blown away by having somebody reflect back my own words and my own experiences in such a sensitive, deep and empathetic way. All right, I thought, you were listening. To feel truly seen and heard and then to have that person care enough that, I don't know, they might encourage an intervention from their own higher power was deeply moving to me and I think about it every day. In fact, I thought about it almost every minute watching this film because this is what Fred Rogers tried to do in his life and in his work. He was a man of deep faith, but there's very little in the film that speaks to religion, either specifically or generally. Rogers used the values from his faith to try and pay attention to everyone around him, whatever their age and whatever their status. He knew that often just hearing people can be enough to make a difference in their lives, which is something we can all think about, no matter what else we believe or don't believe in. Is this Andrea? Yes. This is Fred Rogers. Oh, hi. Who is it? Uh, Lois, right here. Oh, no, I, Andrea, while I have you, I just want to thank you so much for sharing Lloyd with us. Can't be easy him traveling with Gavin at home. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I'm going to give Lloyd to you now. Mr. Rogers knows my a Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood is directed by Marielle Heller, who has made three films now that have been distinctive for their empathy and sympathy for all their characters, but also for their directorial vision. Last year, she made Can You Ever Forgive Me, which starred Melissa McCarthy as an author-turned-forger. Heller hasn't let me down yet, and I'll just observe that my two favourite films this year so far have been directed by women. Greta Gerwig's Little Women should still be in some cinemas at the moment. If you use the aggregation website Rotten Tomatoes, and you really shouldn't, you should listen to myself and Simon here on RNZ National, but if you do rely on critical aggregation websites like that, may I point you in the direction of a new one? Cherry Picks is a website that collects reviews written by female and non-binary identifying critics, many of whom you won't have heard from in mainstream media, but whose opinions and perspectives could well open your eyes to new films and new filmmakers. Give Rotten Tomatoes the flick. But back to A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, which is rated PG for violence and coarse language. It should be playing all over New Zealand now. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy And that's our programme for this week. I'm Dan Slevin, and you can find me on Twitter as at Dan Slevin, that's all one word, and there's more of me at rnz.co.nz forward slash widescreen, where you can find reviews of other interesting film and TV selections from the plethora of local online streaming services. 
On our next programme, I'll be reviewing My Third Grudge. This one is produced by Evil Dead Sam Raimi, World War II Pacific epic Midway, and the new film by one of the greatest filmmakers who has ever lived, Terence Malick. That's if I can find a cinema in my neck of the woods that's actually playing it. So why not join me for more At The Movies at the same time next week? See you next time. And that's a cut. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.